Hey everyone, welcome to the 13th episode of our Mainline Podcast. This time I have Mr. Patrick Rafino on with me, of course, my co-writer. He's been on the podcast a few times. I have Kyle Larson, who is starting to work with us more. This is his second time on the podcast. And then we have our eighth official guest, Jacob Turner. Jacob is a Marine Corps veteran, and he is now a congressional candidate for the Libertarian Party. He's running for the 8th District of Missouri. Uh, Jacob is the first political candidate I've ever interviewed, and as we start getting more into domestic politics, I think um, I think it was a great start. I really enjoyed the interview we did with Jacob. I feel like it was more of a conversation than anything, which is, of course, what we want to do here. Um, we want to keep it... Um, we want to find a medium between keeping it professional and... Um, I don't know, just having fun and having a conversation. So I, I think we found that, um, and I really hope you guys enjoy it. Like I said, I think me, Pat, and Kyle all enjoyed it. I think Jacob had a good time. It was uh, it was great to talk to him and kind of see what his beliefs are and see why he's running for Congress and why he uh, thinks he could do a great job representing the 8th District of Missouri. Um, I'll put this podcast out on YouTube as well. We actually all filmed um, on Zoom for the first time, so we'll see how that goes. But before we get started, this podcast is sponsored by Mission Essential Gear, your one-stop combat shop, home of the Thules, the tactical handbook for unit leaders. You could find that at megearco.com and Amazon as well. Also, check out The Freelancers, which is a media and research collective dedicated to covering modern conflicts with a soft focus on foreign fighters. You could find them on Twitter at CBT Freelancers, Instagram at Freelancers Blog, and their website at freelancersconflictblog.wordpress.com. Also, check out Fortress International, a veteran-owned research and analysis firm based near Washington, D.C., you could find them on Twitter and Instagram at Fortress underscore INT and their website at FortressLLC.org. Lastly, check out the LARP Bazaar, which is a tactical gear and apparel company started by myself and uh, two other friends of mine that are also Marine veterans. You could find us at LARPBazaar.com and we'll get started. All right, so I got uh, Pat, I got Kyle, and I have Jacob with me. How is everyone doing? Good. Thank you for having me today. Pat, how's it going? It's going great, man. First off, Jacob, thank you for coming on. Um, really a pleasure. Really just trying to get, you know, people out there around the, not only Missouri, but around the country know what we got going on here. So really blessed to have you on this podcast. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Kyle, how are you? Um, yeah, I'm surviving the best I can. <laughs> yeah, I'm fair enough. Yeah, Pat and Jacob, nice to meet you both. Yeah, nice and to meet you, Kyle. All right, so uh, you guys want to do some introductions real quick. I know it's been a while since uh, we've done this. And, of course, Jacob, this is your first time on. Um, so, Pat, if you want to go first, and then uh, Kyle, and then uh, Jacob, since you're the guest. Hey guys, um, you guys probably know me from my uh, beautiful works of, of my writing articles I've been doing. My name is Pat Rufino. I'm a writer for Mission Essential Gear. Occasionally come on, analyze and educate the uh, podcast. When I'm not doing that, <laughs> I am a nursing student. In addition, I 
fancy myself a fake mercenary, but uh, and do a lot of, you know, educating on the medical side of, of the house for uh, police departments and uh, private businesses and whatnot. Kyle. All right, I'm Kyle Larson. I think this is my second episode with you guys. I'm currently a student at University of Colorado Boulder. Um, did five years in Marine Corps. Uh, now I'm just trying to make my way through life. And then Jacob. Yes, uh, my name is Jacob Turner. I'm a, a biz I, I'm, I own a business out in Missouri, a former veteran in the Marine Corps, and currently I'm running for Congress uh, out here in the 8th District. So thanks for having me. Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, thank you for coming on. We, we all really appreciate it. Um, what kind of business do you own? I own a, I own delivery routes. So I own five separate delivery routes. Um, okay. I manage train drivers and then I just manage pay and benefits from there. Okay. How long have you been doing that? 2014, I started, I got out of the Marine Corps in 2013 and I went to work, uh, I went to work for the post office first, and then I seen that there was more money to be made on the contracting side, which is usually the case, uh, even in the military. So uh, just like most of us, I, I made the decision to go contracting. Okay, awesome. Uh, where'd you grow up and what made you want to join the Marines? I grew up in Donovan, Missouri. Uh, it's a country town. It's, it's so rural. I, I tell people this all the time. It's so country that we had uh, one week off in November for deer season from public school. So we got to get off, go hunt, hunting with our families and, and then come back the week after and show everybody pictures of, of uh, our trophy bucks. And uh, I, so I always grew up in nature, always grew up shooting guns, uh, come from a very patriotic family. And so it was just a natural fit for me. I've always been patriotic and I've always, I've always looked at Marines uh, even from a young age, not knowing, uh, not knowing too many Marines, just looking at it, there was always something about those dress blues. I always thought, man, one day I want to be in those dress blues. So as soon as I got out of high school, I had my mom go sign the papers so I could, I could uh, ship off to San Diego. Uh, what was your MOS while you were in? I originally was a 6672, which means I worked in the air wing. Uh, that was short-lived. I ended up uh, moving over to third low-altitude air defense. That's where I was trained and deployed uh, as a security unit. Uh, after coming back, I, I made a stint on the Marine Corps mixed martial arts team uh, and submission wrestling team. And then I went to uh, recruiting duty in Oklahoma and had a successful run in, in recruiting. Nice. Um, what made you want to do uh, LAD? Lad. Well, uh, the MOS that I was in, it, it didn't suit my personality. I've always been a go-getter, someone who wanted to be outside. And, and uh, I joined the Marine Corps with the expectations that I would be doing things like patrols and such. Uh, how did I end up in, in the position that uh, the job or the MOS that I did, if that's what I wanted? That's a, that's a good story. We can start with that. I wanted to leave in the Marine Corps early. And at the time, there was only five jobs available is what, what I was told. I was a young pup. I didn't know better. And being 17 years old, I listened to whoever was in charge. And they said, well, we have a better option for you. You have a really high ASVAB score. So what we could do is we could sign you open contract and the Marine Corps will choose a good job for you. 
And I said, well, that sounds way better, Sergeant, than those uh, five jobs on that list. Sign me up. I'm ready to go. So I ended up in a job that I, I wasn't too fond of. So I was pretty vocal about this, the fact that I wasn't happy with my position. And uh, I had a, a, a captain who was just amazing. And one day he walked up and he said, I have an opportunity for you. And he's like, you, uh, you don't fit in around here doing this. This I know that you want to get out. You want to go out and do some exciting stuff. So I tell you what, I don't know if it's a, a job that's burnt. I'll, I'll be a little PG, burning poop. You know, we use a different words. And, and as you know, there are jobs in the Marine Corps where you're stirring, stirring uh, burning feces overseas. And, uh, and I said, I don't care. I'll take it. Whatever, whatever it is, I'm down. Well, there was a shortage in third low altitude air defense at the time. Something had happened, a mismanagement with, uh, with, with their people. And they were highly shorted. And they were needed for us to act as a security unit. So I was fortunate enough to get pulled over there and get to go through the training of what it would take to do, to write patrols, to go on patrols, how to do proper searches and, and how to clear houses and how to, how to do all that cool stuff that I wanted to learn how to do in the first place. So it really worked out for me. Uh, not everybody gets that opportunity. Once they make it in, they kind of get stuck in a position, but I was very fortunate and blessed. And I loved my time in the Marine Corps. But that's how I ended up in third lead. And how long did you stay with uh, Third Lad? I was with Third Lad for a year and a half. Okay. Yeah. And did you, you went to the martial arts team after that? I did. I was one out of nine people on, the, on the, the martial arts team. I grew up boxing. In my town, if you, <clears throat> if you didn't play basketball or baseball, you, you did play sports. Well, I was uh, fortunate enough to live 15, uh, 15, 20 minutes away from a town called Popper Bluff, Missouri. And a old boxing coach had moved to town and he was retired and he wanted to something to do in his spare time. So he opened a boxing gym. So I would drive over there and I would learn how to, how to box and how to use my hands in the proper fashion. And uh, I just took to it really well. So when I tried out for the, uh, when I decided I was going to try out for the Marine Corps mixed martial arts team, I realized I had no ground game, but I was very fortunate. And I met this young man who was, one of the first Americans to train with the Brazilians when they came to America for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So for probably about eight months, we trained every day in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So therefore I would have a ground game to go with my boxing. So I had to go compete in a competition to make it into the team. And I was awarded the spot for the 185 weight class. Okay. And so, um, what, what do you guys do in the mixed martial arts team? Do you like compete with teams from other branches, other countries? Like, what do you guys do? There are definitely, yeah, there's definitely other sports teams. Uh, the Navy had a team that they were developing uh, closer to the end of my time on the team. We fought a lot of civilians. There's a lot of good MMA teams in California. So we were able to go to, they'll have a jujitsu competition or an amateur mixed martial arts competition every other weekend. And us Marines, we naturally like to fight or roughhouse. So that was perfect for a guy like me. Okay, nice. And how long were you doing that for? I did that for around a, a year. And it came up to a point where I could either try out uh, and extend, but I was coming up in a weird spot with my contract and I had to make a career move. Yeah, and at the time, I didn't know if I wanted to be a 20-year Marine or if I wanted to get out after that. So 
I looked into Marine Corps recruiting. I thought, hey, that sounds like a good gig for me. I like to talk. Um, I love the Marine Corps. I could sell it. So I'll, I think I'll give that a shot. And that was one of the most valuable things I've ever done. It was the hardest duty that I've ever done. It was most challenging uh, to be able to go up there and give those talks. You, you, you have to earn those skills. That's for sure. But, uh, but definitely the most rewarding. Okay. And were you able to go back to Missouri to do recruiting? Did you have to go somewhere? I was I wasn't. I, I'd actually, this is, this is funny. I had called Stockton, California and requested a by name request because I wanted to go train with the Diaz brothers. If you know MMA. <laughs> yeah. So because I'm an MMA guy, because I'm a boxer and a, and a jujitsu guy, I had it dead set. I was like, I'm going to choose Stockton. I'm going to go train with Nick and Nate Diaz. I love those guys. They're tough. Uh, however, I got chosen for Oklahoma city. And uh, when I show up, they, they, the guy straight up tells me, the guy who's in charge, he said, we're putting you out at a PCS by yourself, but I'm going to be honest, no one's made it successful out of here. Everybody comes here, their careers die. I'm just being honest with you. You got the, you know, you're kind of early on in your career. Maybe you can make a comeback out of it, but it ain't looking good. He was just dead honest with me. And I'm, I'm grateful he was. I'm glad that he was. He didn't try to blow smoke. Two guys have been relieved there prior to me uh, due to failure to recruit. I left there uh, that first year. I became recruiter of the year for Oklahoma City. Um, and I ended up winning almost every award that you could in Marine Corps recruiting. And I walked away with 88 recruits. And I'd recruited several for other recruiters who were struggling. Okay. So if you, I've always wondered this, if you don't make a quota for uh, recruitments, do you get relieved? If it adds up. So one month you'll have to go through special training to kind of see where the problem is. And as you know, Marines are humans too. So some, some Marines, they just do, uh, they'll avoid the work of making telephone calls or walking out and shaking hands. And if you don't put the work in, you won't build the contracts, not in these little towns, not in these country towns. You have to actually go out, knock on doors, meet people. You have to be willing to put yourself out there. And uh, some people weren't willing to do that. And it adds up over time. You, you miss one month. All right. That's uh, that might be a fluke. You miss two months. All right. Now we might, we might have an issue here. Three months, it's starting to look bad and you do get relieved eventually. Okay. Gotcha. What, uh, what happens if you get relieved, they kick you out or send you, you get, out? you get sent back to uh, the fleet with the, they, they have a certain name for it. It's been a while since I've been in the Marine Corps. So I believe it's uh, re it's relieved for cause or something like that. And it goes on your record forever. So it might keep you from getting promoted. And some ranks you're forced out, as you guys know. Yeah. I'm not sure the years that you guys went in, it might be a little bit different from when I, when I was in. I, I talked to Pat often about it. And a lot of things have changed since I left. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Was it? I was in fourteen to eighteen. I can't remember when Pat was in. And I did ten, like 13, 18. ten to fourteen. And I know. I think we had one guy in my unit. He was he wasn't in my section, but he uh, he got sent back. But he did. I don't think it was failure to make mission. I think he was acting the fool type thing. And uh, yeah, that guy was out pretty quick within like a year. I'm trying to remember his name. It wasn't that memorable, but all of a sudden we just had a recruiter show up and uh, all he did was work out. So 
you have to conduct yourself in a professional manner. You're representing the organization. <clears throat> I mean, that's just plain and simple. Yeah. I don't, you know, like, there's fleet being in the Marine Corps, like the fleet, the operating forces, and then there's the, uh, you know, what, what Johnny, John A. taxpayer sees, especially in Oklahoma, right. like you're saying, and it's like, you, you know, you're the billboard, you're the, you're the man in the, in the Charlie's, the dress blues going out talking to these kids. Now, if you're acting like a degenerate out in town, it's a little bit different to do that in Oklahoma city representing the Marine Corps than Oceanside, California, where it's 230 something years of Marines doing that nonsense. So. And it leaves lasting impressions in, in these small towns minds. Cause they're so patriotic. They look at us in a different light. They don't look, you know, we, we walk among great men. We walk among people who do extraordinary things. So for us, we don't we don't always look at each other in that light. We see each other as just brother, you know, friend, um, someone to lean on. We don't look at each other the way that they look, and we often forget that these small towns they they idolize the Marine Corps. They look up to the Marine Corps. It means something, and it's up to us to protect that and safeguard that. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I can definitely identify. I come from a small town. It's in Wisconsin, so a bit different. But um, definitely what you said about the deer hunting. We used to get, we used to start school a week later because of the county fair. And so many kids would show animals in the county fair that, you know, we wouldn't have anybody at school. Um, so I really appreciate oh, that's awesome. that. Yeah. But yeah, I, I know I could have never been a recruiter, um, mostly because I didn't know where half my uniforms were at, at some time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, hats, hats off to you, man. I could not have done that. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Kyle. That's off to you for speaking positively about it. <laughs> the only yeah, it was. I've I've known that's done it, and not hated it. Well, I told I told somebody this the other day. They asked me how was recruiting, and I said, you know, I was doing exceptionally well, and it was still terrible. So it was very hard. <laughs> Even if you're winning, it's hard, and that's the. It never feels like you're winning out there. You always feel like you're behind, because uh, public perception is a hard thing to judge. Mm -hmm. so uh what um i don't want to get off on like a huge recruiting tangent but i do have this one question because it just popped into my mind what uh years did you do recruiting 2010 i believe it was 2010 to 2013 okay i believe i might i might i might be a little off there i might i might have just went in 2009 but I got out in 2013, the end, the end of 2013. Okay. Do you have to, uh, I'm sure it was different in Oklahoma, right? I'm from, I'm from California, like San Francisco Bay, right? So two completely different places, but did you have to deal with any sort of uh, anti-war sentiment or anything like that when you were recruiting? I, I did, but during my first two years of the Marine Corps, I started to have a political evolution on mindset. I started to look at our what we um, how we were conducting ourselves in the world, acting as a world police. And even though I cherish the Marine Corps and I love our military, I don't believe that that's the proper way to utilize us. I think they come to the costly bill to the taxpayer. And I can understand the anti-war that just because you're anti-war doesn't mean that you're anti-soldier or troop. I love the troops. I love the soldiers. I'm proud of my Marine Corps career, but still, I would always avoid war if possible. Uh, there, it's honorable. To, I would say it's honorable to want peace. It's honorable to be anti-war, but it's also honorable to step up when your nation needs you 
and when it's when it's a serious threat and to take that on and to fight when you need to okay uh, i'm glad that you mentioned that i actually have a couple questions uh kind of based on that but um i'll save that for a little bit later when we sort of get into your campaign all that stuff and uh pat kyle if you guys have like anything you want to add just um speak up if not i'll just keep running my mouth so because I, I as i've gotten older and with my background and the uh the places i've been i, I find myself becoming a warmongering pacifist in a weird way and i know that's a very <clears throat> contradicting statement it's like i just hate like there's a lot of for instance a country i'm attached to there's a lot of unrest going on and the initial knee-jerk reaction is, you know, the United States needs to step in. Well, plot twist on the one hand, the United States has already stepped in there years ago. And I don't think they made it worse. I just don't think they made it better. But it's like, you know, and to get a little personal, we're coming up on the anniversary on one of the worst days of my life as a contractor. It's been two years since, you know, a couple good men lost his, lost their lives. And it's like, man... You know, I have no problem volunteering my time to go to some of these places as a contractor, working with that government and helping their troops and advisement missions. But to force some kid joining from Oklahoma City who's just, you know, like, why is that country we're going to? Like, it's it's weird. You know, like, I, you know, I believe in doing, you know, violence of action is a violence of action is necessary, especially in the conflict that's happening in the country I care about. But at the same time, it's not at the expense of US service members. So it's like I teetered on this weird contradiction in a weird way. But it's I'm definitely I'm definitely over the years become way more maybe not anti anti well, I think anti war, but anti that that line of anti-intervention, maybe maybe pro-advisement would apply to policy at this point. Yeah, I think and, you know not to interrupt, but but you're an, you're a warrior, Pat. You you know you've shown that over the years. It's ingrained in you. So whenever you're a warrior, your body's always look, your mind's always looking for that war to fight. And the United States, we need those warriors. They're very valuable to us. But that doesn't mean that we should utilize them recklessly. Oh, for sure. And to get into what both you guys are saying, I think, um, I think our politicians have just done an awful job. Really, I mean, just leading the war, wars, leading the military, like in general, right? When you talk about, Pat, when you talk about, hey, you know, why should we send this 18-year-old kid from Oklahoma City halfway across the world to some desert, right? Politicians need to do a good job of explaining why we're going to a certain place, right? And they haven't done that, at least not, you know, for as long as I've been alive. You know, Iraq, Afghanistan, other places, right? Like Libya in 2011, um, Syria, like plenty of places. Why are we going here? What exactly are we doing? Why are we doing it? I agree. It's a great point, Brody. It hurts, man. Like it really, it really does, you know, because specifically one of the countries like I'm talking about and 
it's in the Caribbean and they need they they need help. But am I willing, you know, I'm I'm probably gonna be having children in the next several years. It's like, am I willing to send my kid to that country? You know, like I don't like I I have no problem going because I'm making a personal cho choice to put myself in danger. And yeah, there is a financial gain to it, but you know, sometimes the the compensation is not worth it, like what you would think. It's more because I want to do those things, but I don't, you know, think the taxpayer should fund that. You know, I think that's a if there's someone from that country who has family down there and has a little bit of money, yeah, I have no problem where their their government needs help and they're putting jobs out for guys who have operated in that zone and understand and have no problem teaching their police force and their military medical stuff. Hell yeah, man. But now that, now that, you know, my neighbor's dollar, like that's not his problem. The stuff going on down there is not going to affect him. I promise that. Yeah. And Americans have proven that when a war is just, they'll step up, they'll raise their right hands. They'll take on the fight. They'll, they'll line up across in lines to step up and, and take on the enemy. So I, I just feel that Americans are patriot, but we should not ever abuse that either because that could stop. Oh, for sure. Yeah, 100%. 100%. There's um, also war fatigue. Right, right. Yeah. War fatigue. That's, that's yeah. legitimate. Maybe to caveat a little early into the campaign, but not so much what, obviously, what you're going to do, but it's like, I don't know. I'm very curious to see how many of these politicians, you know, have this war for like understand like guys like us who have been, you know, into the, you know, the seven on five off the contracts, like, you know, guys who were desert storm dudes got onto the Blackwater game in 0203. And then they've just been in Iraq, Afghanistan, like in these combat zones since 03. You know, like the, 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 the 2003 Iraq push guys are retiring soon, you know, 20 years of doing that type of stuff. So it's like, you know, going through that seven on five off. And like, I'm very curious to see like if how many of your God willing future peers understand that war fatigue of like, like this is years upon years of like, deployments, missed Christmases, friends getting hurt, dying. It's taking their own life, you know. I just, I don't know, I don't know if people actually get that. And that's something that I think about a lot. So I, th I think that's why we need more veterans in Congress, especially the fact that we've been, you know, worrying for so long. So that's, that's my biggest like, hey man, what's the next move with, with our boys and girls over there? There's never, it's like the politicians never see the human cost um, right. because we're just, you know, we're numbers um, right. and you send numbers to places and, you know, some come back, some don't. Um, and the ones that do come back, you know, sometimes they come back with stuff that nobody should have to come back with. Um, and this, you know, gets into like the mental health aspect, but, um, you know, our, that doesn't ever affect someone making those decisions, or I should say rarely, it rarely affects them. So really understanding why we're, you know, why we're sending in there, who we're sending. Um, um, 
that's something that it would be nice to see. Um, like right. veterans, right, veterans right now are still fighting for, you know, um, the burn pit registration. They can't get benefits for burn pits, which right. is ridiculous. You know, like <laughs> it's unbelievable that that's even a thing. Right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's one thing, you know, I'm not trying to make a dig at any of these politicians. Uh, I'm just saying that when you have a politician who rose up in, a, in his mom and dad's household and then they leave and they go to college, they spend eight years in college becoming a lawyer, and then they go directly into politics. They never understand. They never have a chance to understand what it means to live out in, in society, live out in the real world. They've never even had to, had to earn a proper paycheck. They've never had the struggles. So then these people are the ones making the decision to send us to war. These, they, they can't wrap their brains around it. Yeah, ex exactly. And that leads into almost like, I think you mentioned earlier, there's like patriotism, um, but there's also like this false sense of patriotism, like you know, go, where, go where your country demands, you don't question it, you know, don't, um, you know, don't ever speak out any, against anything your country does. And that's not, that's not healthy for anybody. Um, so I really like that you brought that point up because there's a difference between, you know, you know, this patriotism, which is great and, you know, it should be a, nor a normal thing. Um, for Americans, but like blind and false patriotism. Um, it's in trouble. Gonna, yeah, it's right. not going to get us in trouble. I think, I think that's why we need more veterans in, in Congress and in the Senate. And like, I'm not one of these guys who thinks the president should have to serve in the military. I'm not one of these guys who thinks that everyone should serve in the military. Um, but I definitely think to bridge the bridge away from that or to get away from that tribalism because I feel that it's we're all on teams right now you know like we're <clears throat> whether you're team R, team D, team Trump, team team Biden, team Harris you know like I, I feel like everyone's on a team right now and like yeah that's cool but you know these aren't these are politicians these are public servants these aren't our favorite baseball players I think with like more veterans, veterans in, in Congress, especially in, in Senate, you know, you could be like, you know what, man, I don't, I don't like that guy, like his views, but that, that dude, you know, is kind of worth his grain and salt and, or, you know, worth his, worth his worth. And I'm, I'm going to be able to talk to, talk to this dude because in the end, like he was in the Marine Corps, I was in the Marine Corps and we have that. And, you know, there are a couple of Congress, Congress people that like on the other side of, you know, depending on the subject of the aisle that I don't, you know, care for, but at least I'm like, you know what? All right. You know, like that's kind of how I kind of fell, fell in love with uh, Tulsi Gabbard, you know, just like, you know, wasn't really for me. And then I just started listening. I'm like, you know, a couple pumps to Iraq. Right, let me listen to what you guys say. You know, like this is, this 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 lady seems like she she gets it you know maybe maybe not all the way for me but like i have no i'll listen to her talk all day that's like i think that's a super important point that you bring up like you don't have to have a favorite politician who you agreeing with your you know whatever whatever politician there is like agreeing with them on everything that's not realistic it doesn't make sense um that's not going to happen um so I like that you said that. And then some of the, the best advice I've ever gotten was from my college professors. Like, if you look across the political aisle and you can't agree 
um, or even try to agree with the, you know, something the other person is saying, then like, you're the one that needs to do the work. Like we have to come together as a, you know, you don't have to agree on everything, but you know, just seeing them as a person with valid opinions um, is really important. Yeah, I think that's pretty solid advice. Sorry, I probably looked uh, kind of distracted. I guess I didn't realize you have to like upgrade to the pro to get unlimited recording time or whatever. So I just went ahead and did that. Um, but I was paying attention. I think you guys are all bringing up pretty good points. Um, I think like, I think running for office as a veteran um, definitely uh, gives you another level of respect, I guess. Um, and I'm not saying you should have to be a veteran to run for, you know, Congress or the president or anything like that, right? But it definitely helps. Um, it gives you a certain level of respect that other candidates don't get, you know, for obvious reasons. Um, and it should give you, um, I don't want to say a different knowledge base, but I don't know, just experiences that other candidates can't relate to, right? And that gives you more insight that they don't have. That's right. So I guess to go back a little bit, did you get to deploy or anything with third L or not third LAR, third lab? I spent time in the Horn of Africa, almost a year. Okay, which country? Uh, it was in Djibouti and North Somalia. Okay. And how was that? Uh, it was good. We were acting as a security unit. We did everything from guard uh, the docks where, where the boats uh, enter, uh, because that's, that's a big issue in Africa is, is protecting the, uh, the watercrafts. Uh, we had forward operating bases that kind of sit in between. And we would protect uh, units that were going down to operate with uh, communications and got to learn how to utilize biometrics for finger scans and retinal scans when the, when the equipment was rather new. Um, and you had to carry around a giant box to utilize this because the, the, you know, this was like the, the first telephone of its kind, you know. So it was, a, it was a good experience. I got to work with really great men. One of the most valuable things that I, I had happen on on that uh, deployment was my roommate that I got that or my can can mate is what you would call him I guess my can mate he was a uh, guy from Texas and his leadership was just outstanding he was a natural born leader and it's so it's so good like when you get to spend time with someone uh, that has those abilities to kind of look and see how they do things and kind of work that into your uh, system and how you act. You know, you, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, to, to look at their leadership abilities and see how they handle certain situations. And, and he was just a natural, you know, uh, God rest his soul. He was a, he was a good man. And, uh, I was just always blown away at how he always wanted to step up and take charge. And he was just a hard charger. And I would watch this man and see how he acted. And I thought, man, he, he isn't letting age affect his way of wanting to step forward. You know, I, I grew up in a, in a country town where you kind of let your elders uh, move forward with decisions and then you follow along with what your elders want. And then eventually you're the elder and you make the decision. But this kid had a different mindset. He was, uh, he was ready to take charge at his age, a very young age. And uh, it rubbed off on me. And I, I ended up uh, getting to run my first patrol at the age of 19. So 
that was a that was a big experience for for me you know to get to lead men out and and uh, go through the whole process of building a five paragraph order and I mean most veterans anybody watching this who isn't a veteran probably <laughs> wouldn't understand that reference but this is the whole planning process that goes into making sure that the men know what they're going to take with them on the patrol your different checkpoints uh, and mapping it all out and getting it squared away so that you can achieve a mission and then come back safely. I remember that being quite a process when I was at AMC. I got it red, is. red pen to death by my instructors. So yeah, don't remember it too fondly, but yeah, a lot of work goes into it. Difficult. And, uh, what I will say, that, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. I will say that getting to uh, communicate with people outside of America and getting to see the way they live was a very, it was an eye opener, getting to see the different walks of life and realize how, how truly blessed we are. I always felt blessed for being in America, but to see it and to know that I was going to get to go home, I was going to get to go back to my way of life, but my views and my, I, I always remember my time over there. And when I come over here, I realized that we, this could go South real quick. How uh, how did the locals feel about your presence there? It was a mixed bag. Some people uh, liked us there. I mean, you know, they were able to benefit from us being there, whether it was uh, given they were given a job to do and so they could earn a little bit of income. As, as you know, the, the military does provide certain jobs. And uh, also we provide humanitarian hearts and minds. So we're bringing food and water to villages and medicine and and really taking care of the locals, and that helps us win over, uh, win over people to let it to, for, so that they'll give us information on the things that we need. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure it was uh, it was beneficial to have us around for for most of them. Uh, but there was the, there was the uh, the people who were happy with us. They would they would have been uh, very happy with us leaving. They didn't want the the uh, imposition that you know us us coming in and imposing. Yeah, yeah, it's uh. It's interesting to think that like our military is in all these countries, like all over the world, you know, and it's just something like we don't even really think about that much. But if the tables were turned, like if Djibouti brought their military over here like that, we probably wouldn't care for that too much. We would not care for that. You know? I, it's funny that you say that because I, I had a, uh, an interview recently and the man is very intelligent who I had the interview with. And he was, he was kind of telling me where he stood with, with uh, inter, uh, interventionists and, and going and, and to these different countries. And I kind of made the point, you know, I try I use some, you know, a country that we're friendly with. I said, Ireland, I said, I, I read a lot of posts from Ireland and, and they have a lot of ideas on how to fix us. And we have a lot of issues right now, but we wouldn't, we wouldn't appreciate Ireland coming up and setting shop over here, trying to line us out. And uh, you know, I, I, I still feel, I understand where, where those people, not so much in uh, Africa where they were more friendly uh, to us being there, but in other parts of the world where they don't want us there. When you come to places like Japan, we've been there for a long time and the people of Japan will protest, but we have deals with their government, so we stay. But that's against the will of the people. The Japanese want us out of there. Yeah, no, I, I get where you're coming from 100%. To be fair though, it's, and don't get me wrong, once again, kind of talking out both sides of my mouth, 
it's easy to be very edgy and cool about like, oh, we need to get out of Japan, like, or excuse me, a Japanese citizen. But my man, you you also just started your military again, like a year and a half ago, I think. The Jap like Japan didn't have a military; they had the defense. So, and this is something when I talk to people, when they're like, "Oh, our defense budget's too high," I was like, "No, you mean the world's defense budget is too high?" Because think about all the countries we throw money into, Africom, which funds all these militaries, Kurdish Kurdish forces which it's, you know, get political real quick. That's its own country to a lot of people. The Iraqi military, the Afghan military, belligerent amount of the Balkans, uh, NATO, the UN, a lot of Asian countries, Kurdistan, I don't think, I don't think we're going to use Pakistan anymore. Um, I always, I'm pretty adamant that the fact that we foot a decent bill for all these nice little Nordic countries so between them not having a military and, you know, us, us footing, you know, they're, excuse me, them not having a military, us providing the protection, and then you add in their 50% tax rate, you know, they're able to do all the fancy stuff over there that they do. So it's like when we start talking about all this stuff, it's like, hey, man, you do realize if we leave, either China's going to come in or you're going to have to figure this out yourself. Right. So, and I, I like, and that's, once again, do I think that's cool to an extent? Yes and no, but like, it's like, okay, it's easy to take all these troops out, but remember buddy, like, you know, right. it's your the, this, yeah, this is where, I mean, this, I can see it both ways. I can yeah. see it. I can see it from uh, like the, the Japanese people's side. I, I can see how would I feel in Missouri? You know, if they were over here, I would, I would feel the same way, but then there are, there's going to be, consequences for actions on both on both uh decisions that's for sure yeah it's like okay if you don't missourians you don't want the japanese here and granted the american mentality is completely different but right you know, it is yeah for the last 70 years you've been having you know papasan you know coming in and yeah he acts like a, a jerk but He's still bringing his friends around and they're paying, you know, your sock, you know, for your bar, your business to be open. All of a sudden that's gone. And then you're going to be the one that's going to have to deal with the, the bullies that come around. Probably right. going to be a little bit mad. And right. you know, kind of, I don't know, is American exceptionalism, the American burden at this point? I don't know the American experiment, but like, look at, there's a lot of influence with, um, you know, that's being altered right now, even in South America with like with the Russian troops and and not even Russian troops, Russian private contractors just running around South America doing what they want. And it's like, do we care about that? Do we not? Like, you know, I just, it's weird because I, I teeter, I'm t I hate that I'm talking both sides out of my mouth, but at the same time, it's like, I kind of get both sides of it too. So yeah, that's why you're a better man than me trying to fix it, man. I just, I just like. Well, it's good that you do look at it from both sides. Yeah. You know, if you're one-minded on it, you you would probably be wrong, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the world's complicated. These these are not these are not simple. It's easy for a politician to come out and say, "I'll fix it by doing this," but there's a it's it's a lot more difficult than that. There's always going to be we're going to have to we're going to have to pay somewhere. Something's going to occur. There's consequences to all of our actions, and we have to realize that. We have to understand that if we really want the, the change to occur, 
you guys lose him? Yeah, I lost him. I don't... Okay. All right. I think he's coming back. You back with me, Jacob? Maybe. Yeah, I'm here. I, yep. Right. I'm yeah, here. you cut out for can you see uh, me? 10 seconds or something like that. Yeah, we can see you. Okay. All right. I, I think it's good. We have a storm hitting here in Missouri. So it's. Okay. We do have that happening. Yes. <laughs> but, you, you're in Missouri too, right, Pat? Yeah, today I am in Missouri. Yes. That is, are, you, um, are you in uh, the district that Jacob's running for, or are you in a different yeah. district? Yes. Yeah, so I know it's a little premature and I know, you know, my 1100 Instagram followers, Jacob Turner has my vote. Um, you know, I don't care about the R, the D, the L next to his name. I want someone, one that I know, you know, in that perspective too. And I know maybe we're jumping, we're, we're, we're jumping a little ahead of the race with the podcast and everything, but I, I believe in who Jacob Turner is as a man. You know, I, I believe that getting a veteran in Congress is exactly what we need because I need, I know he'll talk to someone on the other, on the other side of both aisles that he'll be in. And I think I have the privilege of meeting him and knowing him and talking to him probably way more than his wife gets to talk to him at this point. <laughs> so like, like I said, my endorsement means nothing, but uh, yes, I am in Jacob's district and I am going to vote for him. So. Thanks, Matt. Those were nice words. It's the truth, man. Like, I don't, I don't need to say that to blow smoke. It's, I think, I'm not big into this, we need to change this or that, but I, I don't know. At some point, you, you're, uh, the incumbent has been at the plate for about, about uh, not, was it since nine, nine years at this point? 2000. 2013, he, he arrived at uh, this district in Congress, but he left state government. So he's been in government for a very long time. Yeah, I'm not big into the career politicians. And Jacob, the caveat into what you told on the other show is you, you did say that you only wanted to do the government thing for eight years, correct? I, I will. Uh, I believe in term limits and I believe in eight years for Congress. Uh, however, I do believe that if you wanted to venture off into another field of politics because the house and the senate are completely different on the, how, how they run at the, the the matters that they handle the way that they go about uh and you can have different effects in, in in those so i believe that someone should probably be able to do two terms in the senate because the senate is every six years is the vote uh with congress it's every two years so i feel that maybe eight years would be fair if we set term limits which i'm 100 percent for and 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 uh eight years in Congress, and then 12 years in the Senate. And I feel like that's fair. If you can't get your agenda across in that time in two different forms of uh, sides of the government, uh, and you should probably not be in government. Definitely agree with that. Yeah. Like, and it also kind of keeps the 20-year the like of service, whether it's local government, uh, being a police officer, firefighter, and the military as well. And it's, cha it's, it's challenging to the to the incumbent or to, to the person running too because it's it's easier to be loved in a district. A district's a small uh, small area of that state. The Senate much larger. So to move from Congress into the Senate is a big deal. A lot of people have to believe in you. A lot of people have to trust trust you. So if you want to finish your career out, you got to do what you say you're going to do in Congress, or nobody's going to believe you in the Senate. And that if you follow that path. That will keep that will keep 
politicians more honest, I believe. Yeah, I think it'll also root out. Um, I've met a couple in New York. I'm originally from Queens, where you have people who, you know, are strictly running as Democrats, but they are, you know, they're New York conservatives, which to the average person in Lower East Side probably doesn't like, but because they have that D next to the name, gets my vote, you know? And it's probably the same thing in more conservative states, you know, guys, you know, they have more leftist leaning, left leaning tendencies and, but they're getting the vote of the R because, because he's running as a Republican and, you know, not a lot of people read their policies and, you know, or the bills they voted on, for example, so. Right. There, there's a reason I chose my party. Uh, first of all, I, I'm running as a libertarian and uh, I chose the Libertarian Party because the Libertarian Party, it's the Liberty Party, the LIB of Libertarian. A lot of people don't know that there's been a lot of misconceptions and, and misunderstandings about, about that. Um, the LIB of Libertarian is for Liberty. So we are, to, to put it for 8th District or the people watching from 8th District, if they want to have a better understanding, every two years, four years, or six years, a politician will come out from the Republican Party and they'll start talking about liberties, freedoms, your, your rights, how we're going to fight for your rights. And they say this, and they get their base all riled up and, and, and pumped up and ready to vote. Then these Republican politicians here get in office. They even had control for the first two years of Trump's election or of Trump's term. And they chose to do nothing to gain back the liberties and freedoms that have been stolen away from the people for that. And they had the whole two years. They sat on their hands. They chose to do nothing. So that shows me they're not about what they're talking. They're just selling people an idea. The Libertarian Party is completely different. We get an opportunity to show the people. I'll do what I say. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, Pat was talking about working on I guess for you as a libertarian, you would be working with either side of the aisle. You would sort of be in the middle, right? Or kind of just off, uh, right. off somewhere right. else, you know? Um, as a libertarian, I think you would have a, I mean, you would, you would either have people that would, uh, you know, like you, right? From Democrat, Republican, they would like you because you're not, you know, a D or an R or they would dislike you because you're not here or not right but i think you have a unique opportunity to um grow relationships i guess um with both parties um not only you know a relationship between yourself and someone from either party but you know the two parties with each other right you know since you're i guess uh an outside um an outside party. Right, right. And the way I've seen it going into this is once you attach the R or once you attach the D to your name, well, now you have to answer to that party. Mm -hmm. You got to make a decision. You got to make sure that that checks and clears with, with them first because you're representing them. The Libertarian Party offered me the ability to do things the way I want to do them. I don't have to answer to anybody. I just have to respect libertarian what it means to be a libertarian and because those are my beliefs and where i fall anyways as it, you know that's i believe the libertarian spirit is very similar to what you see like 
the American spirit. When, when you talk about the spirit of America, it's being, it's being independent. It's willing to go out and craft your own destiny with your bare hands and just go out and work for what you want. It's about wanting the government to back off of you and just allow you to, to, to move forward and move this country into a good direction. Too many times we're stifled by the government. It's almost like people are trying to achieve success and they're trying to move forward and, and gain a piece of that American dream. But the whole time they're dragging, they're dragging the government behind them. They're tied to them, you know? So they, we're not making it easy for people. We need to remove those roadblocks and start putting people in position who will help push people forward, give them a push instead of pulling them back. I think another thing that the Libertarian Party can, can bring is hold both sides of the aisle extremely more accountable. I think there's a lot of politicians in, Cong in Congress, especially that I, I'll call maybe meme politics politicians or yeah mean politicians and you have people like the squad and then on the other side you have i don't represent it congresswoman green or something like that she's she's from georgia and yeah. these, people are much, these people are pretty much memes and like it's just like hey man like you actually now that you're gonna talk to me because obviously you two are not adults and you can't talk to each other without screaming so you're going to talk to me and I'm going to be the adult in the room and I'm going to hold you accountable because there's a percentage of Americans right now who like, yeah, it's funny that you both are incompetent, but you're going to actually have to do something and you're actually going to have to be more than an edgy soundbite, which right. I think is ridiculous because obviously I don't see Congresswoman Green and I don't see Congresswoman uh, Cortez ever talking in the same room, but they'll talk to a guy like Jacob Turner who's going to be like, okay, ladies, the adults, let's talk because, and now that you're going to have to be more than just a tweet of, you're going to be more than just like, what, what are you doing going down to the border and, and freaking taking pictures? What do you mean you didn't, you're a U.S. Congresswoman and you didn't, don't know Guam is a territory, ter territory, like, come on, like how, like, come on. And it's no different than that, that one gentleman who said Guam might sink if we put a military base on there. Like, I right, give us the keys go home and think about what you just said, because yeah. I think for him to hang it up. Well, I think that's what like men and women like you are going to have to do. And, you know, I'd like this. And eventually just by, you know, military leadership, I'd like to see someone like, you know, possibly like Dan Crenshaw and Tulsi Gabbard, like these military veterans who are in Congress being like, Hey, you guys actually have to do things. You can't just meme your way into elections because we're going to wake up and it's going to be 26 years of, Congresswoman Green or Congresswoman Cortez or, you know, someone who may have just got elected in the first district that were just kind of like, what have you done other than just say the edgy things and post Twitter stuff? And I tell people all the time, I'm, look, I'm not going to the Hill to make friends either. You know, if they're doing the American people wrong, we're going to have, we're going to have problems. I'm going to hold, I'm going to hold you accountable. We're not, I'm not going up there to play your kid games or, or get in the middle of the squabble between your two parties, but you better do the American people right. That's, that's just how it's going to have to be. They need to send an adult there, and that's what I will be. I will be the adult. It's unfortunate. I'm sorry, I'm kind of dominating, dominating conversation at this point, but it's like it's unfortunate that that's what it's coming down to. And like, like I said, I'd, I'd love to see 
you know, more service members, especially whether they have R's or D's or L's on their name, kind of bridge that gap between these essentially people who have not done anything with their lives. Like, I don't know what Green was doing. I'm sure it was nothing, but I know, you know, the joke of AOC is that she was a bartender. Yeah. You know, I was a bartender at one point too. It's very demanding career, but like you're only winning your district because you're the shiny new object with an R or D next to your name. Like Green's district, I think she gets 3,000 votes or something ridiculous. AOC's was like two to 3,000. And these are the two people that you hear constantly over and over again. And I'm like, these people are idiots. They're incompetent. And they're just, they're twi- they, you know, they're no different than Twitter, Twitterites. You know, they're no different than a Kardashian to me. And these are the people who assist in legislature that get a lot of press time too, which is the unfortunate part. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they make headlines. Right. Um, before, uh, before I forget to mention it, um, this is, uh, politics is still really new, uh, to what we do here. Right. We mostly kind of stuck to, um, international news, you know, wars and conflicts. And then we really, um, I guess started getting into politics after what happened on January 6th. Right. So like you're, you're the first candidate I've ever, ever uh, interviewed for sure. I mean, I'm sure the same goes for both uh, Kyle and Pat. Um, so before we keep going, I want to say that, and you guys can say whatever your political opinions are if you want, that's completely up to you. But for full disclosure, um, I'm a registered independent, right? I voted libertarian in 2016. Um, if I had to describe my ideology, I guess I'd call myself a constitutionalist. Um, and for those who don't know what that is, it's basically, uh, you know, I believe in how the constitution was written. And I think that's how our government should be run, right? Um, as opposed to conservative ideals or liberal ideas or ideals from any other ideology. So I try and keep this as unbiased as I can, but you know, we're all human. So my bias is going to show up inevitably at some point. So I just want to say that for myself. Yeah, I mean, I voted for Republicans and I voted for Democrats. Um, I would love if there was a third party and that was a Libertarian party. Um, I'd love to see them at a national level because I think that would help at least go a long way to fixing um, some of the problems we have in politics. Um, so, I mean, I think it's amazing that you're on here, Jacob, um, you know, running for national office and sitting down and doing this podcast with us. It's just having an accessible, real person that wants to talk to, you know, the people that are voting for him. I mean, not uh, Kirk and I, obviously, um, but it's just, it's it's a nice thing to, to be able to do. Um, and I think that the Libertarian Party is really good at that, um, is that like connecting with, you know, everyday normal people. Um, and that's where Republicans and Democrats have kind of gone astray. Um, they'll have, you know, big events where you pay a lot of money to go, you know, shake hands and take a picture with them. Um, but they, you know, they don't care about your story. Um, they don't really care about you. <laughs> they don't care about where you've been. Um, so it's just, yeah, I do appreciate you sitting down and talking with us. Yeah. Hey, thank you. It's uh, been an honor, man. I really enjoyed this. Sorry, let me fix my camera real quick. I think the biggest thing, though, that like just having the air quote outsider come in 
and this is kind of what I thought, you know, that Trump would do is that it's going to, I'd like to believe that even if, you know, Jacob doesn't win or the, or, or the libertarian, like libertarian candidate in Ohio doesn't win or this state or that state, that, that person that comes in and just is like, you know, I like, I can't just ride my R or my D. I actually have to do something. I have to prove to these people that I am doing something. Like, you know, Donald Trump was a Democrat up until 2015 or 2013 or whatever, registered at least. And then this dude just came in and just, you know, meme once again, memed his way to the memed his way to the presidency. And I was hoping it's like, okay, these establishment Republicans and these Democrats that were gonna be like, we can't just like like this changed everything and unfortunately yeah i think a lot of things did change and i think some good things happened and some bad things you know obviously happened but it's like you know how awesome would it be is like okay maybe maybe the libertarian party isn't winning but these republicans or democrats are actually like you know i have to i i have to care about this like i have to just do things again and like to me i think everyone wins like yeah it'd be awesome you know, for someone that I trust and I know to be in Congress. But if this is what lights a fire under the incumbent's, you know, butt to do something, because he's like this dude out of nowhere, just, you know, because I think he's been running against Kathy Ellis for years, right, Jacob? Like he, it's been, it's been an annual, That's correct. Yeah, it's been an annual showdown of 72 to 24%, you know, each time, right? And it's like, now we have this dude and I, yeah. I mean, it's so early and there's so much momentum and like, you know, now I'm pumped about it. I'm pumped to know you. I'm pumped to, you know, have you on these podcasts and you know, like it's, you know, maybe you don't win, but you get that 30%, 40%, you know, this guy's going to be like, where did this come out of, you know? It'll put the fear in him and it'll let him know that he needs to get to work. I, I want to say, man, I'm so I'm so blown away by the support of this district so far. The people that have reached out, the the positive messages that I'm receiving, it's it's insane. And how fast, how fast these people are, you know, I think they're really they're really fed up. They want something different. They just never had a real opportunity. And every time that someone comes along like me. The Republican or the Democrat, whoever is the incumbent, will say something like this. They'll say, don't vote for them. They'll split the vote. And then if they split the vote, well, then, hey, guess what? That party that, you know, that other party, they're going to win. That's just how it works. We're too close. Here in 8th District, we don't have that problem. And that's been something I've been explaining to the people and really putting them at ease. Our numbers are so skewed. The Republicans carry 80% on a, on a, on a good year. The Democrats pull 20 so that means I could split the vote right down the middle and the Democrats are nowhere close because 20% is a big number in an election. They're not pulling those numbers. They don't have, they just don't have those numbers here. It's not, they just don't. Um, we're a very Republican, Republican district or conservative district. And uh, so now if you're really fed up with this guy and you're wanting somebody who's going to be a man of action, someone who's going to step up and do what they say, someone who, this means something too, because my, I, I live in this district. I earn my living in this district. I am raising my children in this district. You know, I was born here and I'm, I plan to be laid to rest here. Um, I, I love Southeast Missouri. I want to see it. I want to see it prosper and grow and do good things because my kids are going to 
one day be living in, in this community and I want them to have good opportunities. So I'm, I'm willing to go to work. My opponent doesn't have children. He doesn't have a family. You know, he doesn't have those things. So he doesn't, you know, to him, what is it? He just gets to get in there line his pockets with whatever he can cash out and then sell the American people down the road and, and then go on about his business. It doesn't, there's no, there's no skin in the game. But for me, I'm one, I'm one of the people here, you know, just, I, I don't know if we said it earlier and Jacob works on the ambulance in, like he's out there in a County of what, almost a hundred thousand, ninety thousand. It's, it's over 70. I'd have to check, look at the number of granted the school will skew, skew our population to an extent, but he's out there providing aid to these people. And he's also a firefighter. So he didn't just do the four years, five years, six year military service. He's also still out there serving. And I think that's a testament to just what, like, and it's not just to you, it's just any of these Congress people who like, you know, did the fire department do, you know, working, working with EMS. It's, it's still being out in the community. Like, you know, you sign that air quote blank check. And I think a lot of vets are just like, well, I did four years of semi, of semi, you know, honorable service. And then I'm done, but it's like, okay, never stop serving. What can I do? And that's something, right. you know, it's like, you got two, you got two good legs. You got a good brain. You got two arms and you got a good heart. Might as well keep going. That's and right. Keep driving. Going up the ladder into Congress, you know? Right. Like, I don't know how many of these politicians went from, okay, they're working as a lawyer and whatnot. And, you know, obviously those are needed in litigations and important thing in society, but to have someone who, was literally still out in the fight, you know, a different type of battlefield and get a little tacky to keep going post-service and then want to show people like, hey man, it is not just about going to war. It's about coming back and doing something half decent in your community. That's another unique fold. I don't know, I don't know how many Congress people have that in in our government. You know, like I'd, I'd have to research that. You might be the only medic or the only, uh, the only firefighter in Congress, definitely going to be active. They're the only active one. Yeah. You know, besides owning my business, you know, it's doing well and it provides a great life for my family. Uh, but that, that drive to serve wherever that came from, whether it was instilled by my family or, or I don't know, I don't know where that comes from. You guys have it too, you know? So I just, in my spare time, I like to be able to, uh, to still serve and the ambulance is a great, great way to do that working working uh, in emergency medicine especially during covid you know one of the things that that helped push me in to politics was the fact that these politicians who have no no skin in the game i use that term a lot but it, it's very it's very uh fitting for these people you know they're up on the hill and they're and they're protected and and they're politicizing covid they're making they're making games out of it and, you know you're this if you don't believe it and that if you do and um, while that's taking place, I'm, I'm down here riding the ambulance with people who really have it. You know, I'm, I'm holding the hand of someone who's, you know, they're on death's door trying to help put them at ease, you know, and, and, and help in the best manner that I can. Uh, so for me to turn on the news and to see it politicized and then to go and, and, uh, do my, my day a week, I do one day a week on the ambulance, uh, outside of my job, my full-time job. 
and to go and do that one day. And then I'm seeing the effects that, that are happening on a ground level. Uh, you can't help but take offense to this. You can't help but be angry that they would that they would do these kind of things or have these kind of actions. And it, it drives you to want to show the people in your district, hey, we can have better. We can have better. We can have people who really care, who are willing to put it on the line, whether it's raising your right hand and going overseas and putting it on the line there, or whether it's here sitting in the back of an, of an enclosed box with someone who has COVID and, and not knowing. You know, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's, I'm willing to risk it. And I was asked today in a message, and it's funny, and the guy said, how do I know you'll fight for me? How do I know you'll fight for me? How do I know you'll fight for the things that I want? And honestly, I don't know his political beliefs. It's just a comment, but these are things I've never had to deal with. So I had to stop and think, you know, I said, look, take a look and see, look at my page. I have plenty of, I have interviews out. I have all these things. You can look and see if my, your political views align. Uh, but here's the thing. I've been a fighter my whole life. I've been a servant my whole life, you know, and I will continue to serve. Uh, so if my, if my record doesn't show that, if you can't see it from what I've done thus far, I, I, this is the one thing is I, I don't want to come off being uh, gross trying to sell the fact. I want my actions to speak. I, you know, I'm, no one can fake it this long. This would be a heck of a, heck of a game if I had been faking this, uh, this desire to serve the people this long, all these years. You know, do you see what I'm saying? My, tra my track record, uh, it, it, it proves itself. I'm willing to risk it all for the people of America, and I'm willing to go to the Hill and do it again. There's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people who get bought off right in the beginning. Something that we found out that we weren't aware of when you open a campaign, it's a very costly endeavor. And right off the bat, all these young, hungry politicians, they get in there and they start taking money from people. They start taking money. Well, now they owe favors. So they get to the hill and guess what? Right off the bat, they're bought. So they want to do something. No, don't do that. You'll vote no on this bill. You want to vote against uh, uh, human trafficking, which is a real, uh, real issue that happened in this district. You want to vote against human trafficking? No, I don't think so. You're, you're going you're gonna to vote no. We're not going to increase security in Missouri. They're bought and paid for. That's why I refuse to be a part of, of uh, the R or the D. I won't, I won't join that mess. And I will not take money from any lobbyists or special interest groups. I am. We are a campaign funded by the people, for the people. We will work for the people, but it's going to be us riding together. So you're, you want to ride with me? We can go forward, but I will not be bought by these, by these special interest groups. And real quick, if someone wants to donate to your campaign, where can they do that? You can go to jacobturner.nationbuilder.com. I have a whole website. And uh, there's actually a donations tab. If you would like to join to be a volunteer to help out with the team, we would love to have you on the team. That's, that's also, say you don't have the ability to donate. Well, being a part of the team can help just as much. Okay. And I'll go ahead and uh, I'll put that in the uh, show notes when I go publish this podcast too. So it's easier for people to find. Perfect. One second here. Yeah, Jacob, I, I don't know, I'm 
a little bit fanboying a little just a bit and obviously there is probably a bias it's because i know you but i don't know I, I don't know if i'm the greatest part person in the world but i like to believe in the uh i do like to help others and that's about the only redeemable quality i may or may have these days so it's i don't know like i said you have my endorsement you have my vote you know you, you know i believe in what you're pushing man like i said i've been on this soapbox a couple times today. I think we need more veterans in Congress. I think need need more what whether it's third party libertarians or just someone else to hold, you know, some of these incumbents accountable and win, lose, indifferent. I know that Jacob Turner is going to do something and make America a little bit better for you know the people. And I know I think you're already making the eighth district make the eighth district accountable again, you know, if that, if that could be this, if that could be the slogan, you know, I don't, we'll get our gold hats and we'll be wearing that again. We'll be wearing a gold hat like that. So I think that's, I think that's the biggest message that we can do when lose or draw, we're going to make these people accountable. So. Yeah. You know, you know, the thing, uh, getting out and getting to spread the message, but I, I, I will honestly tell you, I'm coming to win. I'm not coming just to uh, get out and, and, and worry. And when we talk about that, that's a side effect of worst case scenario, but I'm coming to win this. I'm going to work hard. I'm, I'm a worker and I've been a worker my whole life. So uh, when I set my mind to something, I will, I will, uh, I'll go after it. I'm a dog on a bone and, and I want to, uh, I want to obtain this so that I can help be beneficial to my community. It means a lot. And I can't sit and watch the news all day, every day, not and not act. You can only wait so long for someone to come along and fix it for you. Before you before you have to step up, you have to do it yourself. And that's that's just the bottom line about it. Is that why you kind of decided to jump right into the national level rather than um, local or state? I wanted to be able to make the most different, you know, mm -hmm. the most difference, and, and be able to have uh, the greatest impact on our nation and. I looked at the different offices and, and, and looked where could I be most beneficial. And I, I thought, well, maybe with my knowledge and, and with my experience in the, in the military, because Congress is supposed to be the ones to decide if we go to war or not. You know, in the old days, that was the proper way. Uh, that's uh, our, our rules say that that's supposed to be the way. But uh, um, but yeah, I, that's why I chose this this position here, because I, I felt that I was most suited for it and I could do the most good in that position. Great question, Kyle. Thanks. I mean, that's a huge commitment, not taking uh, money from lobbyists or special interest groups. Um, are, you, are you worried about that at all, um, being outspent? Because um, that is somewhat sometimes a contributing factor in, in elections. Um, sometimes the more you spend, you know, the better you do. Um, or do you think kind of your, your, your actions and words are going to speak for themselves? Well, I'll tell you right now, when it comes to money, uh, we're not going to outspend them. Uh, they are backed by some by some big uh, big corporations, big companies, and people who who really want their agenda pushed through. When you have an opponent who's getting two uh, two point five million dollars given to him to go on a, on a district our size, it's pretty substantial. So the way we're going to win is we're going to push our message the right way. We're going to talk about truth, and we're going to talk about what we're going to actually do, and we're going to relate on a human level. You know, we're going to relate. These people, they know. That they know their struggles and I know their struggles. He doesn't. And I think that when they see, if I can, if I can just show them, if I get an opportunity to show them, you know, 
hey, I'm here for you. I'm your champion. I'm going to fight for you to have a better opportunity. I think people, I think people will, uh, will come with us. Well, I, I agree, because I know I couldn't tell you uh, what percentage of the vote George Jorgensen got, but I know in 2016, Gary Johnson took, I think it was like 3% um, of the presidential vote, if I remember correctly. Um, and I know that a lot of people have become very disillusioned with um, both Democrats and Republicans. And last time I checked, I think libertarian registration was around 600,000. And I'm going to assume that's only going to keep going up. Um, yeah, here's the thing. The, the, the two-party system is broken. It's broken. It's an old relic. It's a dinosaur. It's outdated. It's done. It really is. It's, just, it's on its last legs. Whether people want to want to you know stand back and actually look at what's going on, or if they're so committed to their tribalism and the, their team and they don't want to let it go, it's limping along. It's limping along, and that's why it's fighting so hard. That's why the corruption. They're they're trying to grab onto everything they can because they realize that their days are numbered. The American people are going to see this. They're going to start to say, you know what, we deserve something better. They're going to be tired of, uh, of taking the abuse and, and not being listened to, not being represented properly. And eventually the American people are strong people. You know, they're, they're not going to, they're not going to take it forever. They'll wake up. They'll, they'll see. One, uh, one thing I wanted to ask is as far as the election of 2020 goes, what is one thing that you thought the Libertarian Party did well on? And what's one thing uh, you thought they could have improved on? Okay. Well, I can, I'll start with the, the negative and then the positive. I feel like that's always the best way. Um, just because they're not very strong on immigration. A lot of Libertarians uh, believe that it's cruel. That, that, you know, it's a cruel act. Um, the things that occur. Whereas I, I, I see it differently. I feel strong borders not only protects our country, but it, it also protects people from themselves. Uh, every day, kids are being drugged across this desert. Uh, they're being sexually abused out in this desert. These are things that are documented. This is well known. Strangers taking kids that aren't theirs across the desert because they feel like it gives them a better chance of getting in our, our borders to come in. And the Libertarian Party, uh, they're very soft when it comes to immigration. It's because they, they care about people in general. The Libertarians are naturally, they're, they're loving people who care, and they want to be able to pass on liberty and freedom to anybody who they can. So a lot of times I think they're, they, they miss uh, the aspect of the border that it's really, it's trying, we're just trying to protect people from themselves, because sometimes you do have to do that. Uh, I would say immigration's the, the downfall on their weak point. Now, what did the Libertarian Party do good or do great? Uh, Joe Jorgensen was phenomenal. Uh, her message getting out, she was not given the opportunity to debate on stage with uh, Joe Biden and Trump. And there was a reason for that. If Joe Jorgensen would have been up there and she would have been in between those two, while they were up there acting like clowns and arguing with each other and just being irate, that's what they were doing they're just putting on you know a big a big show uh if she would have been out there she'd have been the voice of reason and the people would have seen that and then there's a reason they stifled her there's a reason they kept her down uh it's because our message was so clear you know it i i say this all the time democrats and republicans have the same issue and it's that they want to force their way of living on the other half of the nation they want to say you'll live by my rule You'll live by the way I believe that you should live. You should live. Uh, so I'll gain this power, I'll gain this authority, and I'll force it on you. They're very authoritarian in nature. 
if you if you step back and you look at how that how they want to impose their views on others libertarians aren't about that we know that there's different people from different cultures religions different ideas what works for one will not always work for the other the goal is to give you the ability to have life liberty and the pursuit of happiness without us infringing on that allow you to go out and live your life claim your destiny go out there and work hard and gain what is yours and for the government to safeguard that versus be a roadblock to that and that's what the libertarian party's for okay yeah no good answers and i did um i did get a question on instagram from michael lopez he says and i i think we uh can get a good sense of what your answer is just based on the fact that you're a libertarian but uh, what is your stance on Second Amendment issues, particularly on gun bans? Okay, so what is what do I believe about gun bans? Uh, Sorry, yeah. You, 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 yeah, the internet kind of. Oh, okay. For a second Sorry about that. Uh, I believe that all gun all gun uh, laws or placed. Uh, I believe they're all infringements. They shouldn't. They're unconstitutional. There shouldn't. We shouldn't have to pay a tax to own a suppressor to own a short barrel rifle. These are nonsense that it doesn't make the make citizens safer. Um, it's proven more people are killed with knives than they are with AR-15s. And it's just a, a giant act that is put on by one side of the, you know, one side of the nation to try to impose and, and control and force their way of being on people. So I, I don't stand by any gun, any gun laws. I don't feel that you should own nukes. I don't feel like you should own bombs. And I always say, you know, that's where you, we draw the line. You know, I don't, I don't feel like you should have a weapons of, you know, weapons of mass destruction or bioweapons or anything like that. But we're talking about rifles and handguns here. Uh, it's just, it's nonsense. It's nonsense that I have. Okay. So if I pay $200 and I wait a year, you're, I'm more safe with this weapon. Is that, is that what we're saying here? Because that's what that's what it says to me. I, I bought a suppressor. I bought a short barrel rifle. I waited my year. I paid my two hundred for each. So now I guess I'm more safe. The uh, you know I'm less of a danger to society because I, I I went through those steps. They're nonsense. They're they're about this. They're about money and they're about control. What about uh, what about background checks? Background checks. There are certain situations. Uh, you mean the background checks that we currently have, right? Not registering or. Yeah, yeah. Just like when, I, so like when I go to the store in Wisconsin, like I go to a fleet farm in Wisconsin, you go to the little computer, put your information in, um, wait like twenty minutes, like stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I believe uh, that there are certain situations in which someone shouldn't own a, they shouldn't own a gun. If you uh, beat your wife half to death you've proven you're kind of a dangerous, uh, you've proven you're a dangerous person, you know, maybe you don't deserve to have a gun. Maybe you forfeited that right, you know, but as far as, uh, so how do we weed them out? How do we find out that who we're selling the gun to is an actual citizen of the United States? How do we know that they're not a violent, uh, because it doesn't make us gun owners look good when we give a gun to someone who, uh, is a violent felon. They take that gun, they go commit an act because they're just inherently evil, right? They've been bad their whole lives and they ain't changing now. They, you know, they never had that come to Jesus meeting. They've decided that, hey, I'm going to go get a gun and I'm going to go make some things happen. So it just it safeguards our rights, too. 
it allows us good, uh, good law-abiding citizens who own guns and, and for recreational purposes and for not recreational. The Second Amendment is about many other things other than hunting and about, and, and we know that. And I, I know sometimes that when you say things like tyrannical government, people will say, oh, that's a quack. You know, well, history says that I'm not a quack. History says that there are uh, times and there have been many times in this world uh, throughout history where when people get disarmed, whether it be China or whether it be in Germany, bad things occur. And right now we're the lighthouse of the world. We're the, we're the last beacon of true freedom. You start stripping that away, the world's going to get a lot darker. Well, I'll one up you, Jacob. I, I, I'm, I worked a lot of these riot, riots and protests, and there were times where people were caught in the actual riot. And I don't want to come off as this beacon of progressivism, but there is a difference between the protests I went to and the riots I were at. And you would have these people call the police or the EMS and they're just like, yeah, we're not coming. You know, and that's, that's really like your safety when the chips are on the table is your own, is your own priority. And I don't think a lot of, and I think it's a very privileged thing for a lot of people who sat at home during those things or didn't have the property like property or didn't live there in the actual like areas where this was happening, where they have their kids on the ground and they're on their, you know, stoops like that. That's, that's what it even comes down to. It could even be less, it could be government abandonment to an extent. Well, well, it's funny because the people who rail on against, you know, for gun control, we want more gun control. We, you know, we need to make this place safer. They're also the same people who, are constantly going on about how bad police departments are and how how they abuse people and it's it, it's so funny and they, and they they want to take money away from police departments. Well, who, who's going to come? Who's going to come if we have no weapons to protect ourselves? Who's coming? The, the the organization that you defunded, you know, the people that you're going after, you're constantly attacking. And now we can get into that uh, about cops and and all that. There are bad apples. There are people who've done things wrong. There are people who need to pay for those things. Um, but as far as when it comes to the safety of my family, I have two daughters. And five years ago, if someone would have walked in and not been armed, I'd done, I would have done fairly well with my hands. I've gotten older. And every year I'm just getting older. I'm getting a little bit slower. You may be getting a little fat, you know, getting a little fat, you know, slowing down a little bit. Before too long, I'm going to be an old man. And now what, what, what am I going to do? A young guy come through here and, and now... Uh, I don't have a firearm to protect my family. Uh, it's just, it doesn't make sense. You, you have a right to protect your family, your kids, your wife, um, and that anybody who says differently, they're just ignorant to the situation. They weren't raised around guns most of the time. They don't, uh, they don't uh, understand. You'll listen to these people who, who go on against guns and they'll talk about them and they'll say the AR, you know, 11s and, uh, you know, they're, there's, there's 60 round, you know, uh, clips that go in the barrels and, you know, they just, they say weird things and we make jokes about it in the second amendment community. And, you know, us military guys, we think it's, you know, funny how they sound and we crack on about it, but it's dangerous. 
it's dangerous when these uneducated people, these ignorant people get in into positions of power and they start making choices for us. Uh, they, you want to make decisions about something that's life or death. You need to educate yourself. You need to start to get, you need to start to take the time. Don't be nonchalant about it. Don't you need, you, if it's life or death, you need to dig in and find out what's really going on. Well, I'll even one up you, man. It's like, you know, people know the line of work I've been in, whether they're politicians or not. Like I've worked for people who are anti-gun. I am, I am not a police officer. I am not in the national guard. I am not in the service. And they have asked me to have a certain platform with me while I've worked for them, like kept them safe, you know, and I'm being a little vague about that, but you know, half brain kind of put the dots together. And it's like, hey man, do you realize who I am? Like, I'm just a dude, you know? Like, I'm a dude, I, I took a course, I have a, a license, but I am a private citizen working under a co private company that you went out of your way to hire. And because of this, you know, the skill set, and it's like, hey, like, if you, all these fancy rules come through, I'm out several thousand dollars that, you know, you know, make my life very nice, you know? So it's, it's kind of weird to me when we start playing these games as I'm sitting in, a, you know, a suburban with someone who doesn't think what I do for a living, it, it matters because they're just uneducated and they don't realize it. And, right. Do you see the same disconnect, Pat? That's, that's a great example. You see the same disconnect when you see these politicians start talking about things like mileage tax. That came out a few weeks ago, and they, they say, well, we're going to start doing a mileage tax, and we're going to up the gas tax. Well, yeah, it's fine for them because they have drivers who have to pay that fee. They ride in the back of a car. Most of them don't even need a driver's license. If it wasn't for, you know, turn it in for running for office to get reelected, they wouldn't even need one. They have private drivers. Uh, they've taken that bribe money, and they're doing well. Uh, you know, this is something I'll say about a, politi a politician. You go in, you do, uh, you work in Congress, you can make a good living, but you'll never be rich being an honest, an honest congressman. You'll never be rich. It's a fair wage. It's a good wage. And, it, and honestly, if you ask me, it should probably be cut a little bit. Um, you should be a little bit closer to the people you're serving. They should probably go off of districts. Uh, so that way it's fair. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, an honest politician is not going to be one of these wealthy. If you go to Washington and become rich, it's because you're doing something wrong. I always, when, when they brought up, like, when they brought up the, uh, the Trump tax returns, I'm like, you know, what do, what do we really, what, what are we really trying to see? Like the, the billionaire playboy, you know, they're as close as it can get to the, the fat version of iron of Bruce Wayne kind of thing, like that we knew probably did some shady stuff, like anywhere between the seventies and two thousands. Like, is that what we're really going to die on this Hill? Or are we going to be like the person making $140,000 a year in Congress who's getting, who should be paying, I believe a DC tax and their home state tax. If I'm, if I understand the way taxes are, because they're working out of state and technically right. on campaign, depending on how it works, I'm not hundred percent sure they're getting taxed in these other states and their net worth is $2.3 million. 
after being in Congress for 10 years. I'm like, hey man, if you want to go after the president's tax returns, be ready for this slippery slope we're about to go on because that's to me not even a partisan issue. Like, or, or, that is, all right, my man, let's do it. Like, I want to know how Mitch McConnell got rich. I want to know how Nancy Pelosi got rich. I want to know if Bernie Sanders, who's never had a real job before, got rich. He's got several houses, or you got politicians who uh, they'll buy stock for a certain business and then they'll pass a bill that benefits that stock. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, this isn't. So what happened to ethics and crossing the uh, you know boundaries? Does that not exist on the hill? Does this is this something that you're you're above? And that's another thing that's got to change is the fact that they're above the law. These people are treated differently. You know, it's, there's a ruling elite class, and then there's the rest of us, and that that has to change. Everybody should have to abide by the law. Everybody should have to follow the same rules. They don't. They shouldn't get any special privileges when it comes to that. And it's those special privileges that give them and embolden them to be able to take these risks and do these dirty deeds. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely extremely frustrating. Like I, I, I trade like everyone else probably does. And I, I guess my biggest thing is like when COVID first started, you had all these people shorting stocks in, in Congress. And it's like Nancy Pelosi's husband buys couple million dollars in tesla and it's like you know how much influence is she throwing in that way and i'm like i'd like to believe elon musk is doing whatever he wants to do because he's elon musk but regardless take out tesla i'm sure there's been those type of deals like government contracts like raytheon stock has went up a lot like you know general dynamics all that hot jazz and you know the warrior the warrior monk himself is the leaves you know, a sec death and then go straight into uh, being the president of General Dynamics or vice president, I think Mattis is. It's like, hey man, what's what's going on here, you know? And, you know, I, I get you can't, you can't weed out all the boogeymen, but you do one or two and it sends a message. It's like, if they're going to be shady, at least not so much in front of our face type stuff. Well, I'm the cause, you know, I'm what happens. Men like me, men like you, uh, I always say this all I say this all the time. We're men of action. We're people who are we're we're not gonna sit back and watch, we're doers. We're gonna go off and, and try to fix an issue, regardless of what it is, regardless of how big the task is, we're going to uh, do everything we can to make the, the situation better. It's just being a man of action. And uh, I think that when you have politicians failing to do what they're supposed to do, it breathes people like us to come along and fix this because they're, I'm not the only one out here. There's more people in this nation who are ready to stand up and fight for the American people and do the right thing. We just have to have the American people give them that opportunity so we can make things happen because the more people that the nation sends up there with me, it's just that it's just going to happen that much faster. It's going to be quicker. So, uh, you know, sending me, yeah, I can go do some work, but it'd be nice if the nation would send the, you know, send me some people to work with up there. So does the Libertarian Party kind of have like a national strategy to, you know, for lack of a better word, it's like burn out a big scene. Um, Cause uh, Justin Amash was, he was the only uh, Libertarian and he, you know, he switched over from being a Republican. Um, so right. is there any, any sort of that um, kind of central theme uh, for the Libertarian Party to you know, make it into the big time uh, for lack of a better word? 
but we're already starting to see it at a grassroots level. We're starting to see over the last four years, 240 uh, public office seats at, on the lower level get picked up by libertarians. And that's massive. 240 is a lot. Um, that just starts. And, and also, if you look at our numbers on our party, our numbers are, are climbing and they're climbing every year at a pretty rapid pace. Uh, we, we are outgrowing the other two. However, they're dinosaurs. They've been around for a long time. So they've already, they got numbers on their side, you know, but we're growing rapidly. And, and I think that uh, they're kind of doing themselves in, right? It's their behavior that, that's fueling us. You know, if they would just do what they are promising to do for these people, well, then there wouldn't be that there wouldn't be so much of an issue, but they there's people on the left and the right who they truly buy in to these politicians. They truly believe all oh, this time, you know, he was held back. You know, he comes back to the district and he says, you know, those Democrats held me back last time, but this time it would be different. You know, I'm going to need your money so I can take on Nancy Pelosi. And they give this big this big spill. And you always see it. They make a boogeyman out of out of the opposite team. Yes, and yeah. Yeah. So you, you see it, you see it, you always see the ads that, you know, Mitch McConnell showing Nancy Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi showing Mitch McConnell and they're both benefiting. They're both reaping in tons of campaign funds and they're going back up and guess what? They do the same song and dance that they did the last four years. They're doing it all over again. And that's, uh, that's all going to come to an end because people are starting to see it. Even, even myself, I followed the Republican party for so long. And I just started to see that just empty promises, empty promises. And around here, the Republicans, that, that was supposed to mean something. When you told somebody, I'm a Republican, you know, that, that meant something. Uh, but now, Republican politicians, Republican politicians and Republican voters are two different animals. They really, really are. Republican, Republican politicians have left their party. They still reap the benefits, but they aren't the same. Republican voters, they mean well. Democrat voters, a lot of them mean well but their politicians use them. They fuel them up. They get fights going. The media ch chips in. You know, the, the media is making money from being uh, biased themselves. And they just fuel each other, man. It's a, it's a crooked system. One thing that I wanted to, uh, I wanted to ask, because I, I think it's important, at least for, for me, I don't think it's discussed enough, but uh, we have a lot of debt in this country, right? If you use the uh, U.S. debt clock, which that's that's what I use, but I'm sure there's other resources out there. We're over 28 trillion right now. That's well over the GDP of our nation, right? And we're the richest nation on the face of the earth. What I, I'm sure as a libertarian, you have opinions on the national debt, right? What is one right. step in your opinion that we could take to either decrease the debt or stop it from accumulating or both? Hey, it's a great question. Uh, first of all, you take the credit card away from the, take the credit card away from the politicians. They don't spend money you don't have, you know, it's a, uh, it's a rule. Number one, you ain't, if you don't have the income coming in, you can't spend that amount. You got it. You're going to have to chop it off and be reasonable with your money, first of all. So the way they do it now is if they don't, if, if they, need more money outside of what's being taxed, they print it. You guys have seen this. They, they print the money and it's just running the dollar. So the first, the first thing we have to do is take no extra spending. We gotta cut that. Then we gotta start to look at each individual uh, ways we spend money. I'm, a, I'm huge on transparency. 
So once funds go uh, go to, uh, let's say it, we'll use the military as, as a prime example. So what unit were you from, sir? That was two Brody? Okay. So say uh, you guys have a budget of $1 million. We'll just say $1 million. <clears throat> If your CO did not spend up to that $1 million, if they didn't utilize that money, the next year that unit would be punished and they would, they would be uh, given the funds in which they spent. So say you spent half a mil and you had a CO who was trying to be wise with money. They'd punish him and next year he would do with less. So that's the way that all government programs work. So you either spend up to the, the max that they give you or they punish you and they cut it. So that, that inherently drives us towards wasteful spending. So one of the things we're going to have to do is we're going to have to make it to where people aren't punished for being wise with tax dollars. We're going to have to start showing reports to the American people on what these, what the taxes is actually being spent on. I think it's only fair that you gentlemen work hard every day that you kind of get to see where your money's going. Cause right now, a lot of times, especially in military defense, they can't, e they can't even give us an answer. When we go to ask, Hey, where's this, where are these funds going? Trillions of dollars. They have no idea. This isn't a joke. This isn't me uh, make, trying to make an outrageous claim. Uh, this, is, this is legitimate. Around the time that 9-11 happened, there was major funds and investigations going on about, about how, many, or how much money was missing. And they, they couldn't, they couldn't uh, in the uh, Department of Defense, they couldn't find out where, the, where it went. They had no idea. And this is, this is a serious issue. And this goes all the, all the way across the government. So if we cut that, we make it to where they're not punished for being wise with their money. We, we take their ability to spend extra away, do away with that, and we implement a, fl a flat tax, okay? So I've had a lot of people go back and forth on how much is a reasonable amount, how much is too little. I've always said 10%. I, I'm from a Baptist background, so if 10% is good enough for God, then it should be good enough for the government. It's the way I feel. But uh, let's say it's 18%. Right now, taxes at 18%, flat tax. That means no loopholes from the bottom to the top. Regardless, the biggest corporations, they pay their 18%, fair share. Problem right now is over half the country doesn't pay taxes. They find loopholes, they find ways out of taxes, and, they, and big corporations pay way less. And even people uh, at my wage, we find businesses find ways to avoid because we're overtaxed. And it's not avoiding in the fact of doing anything illegal. It's following the rules that you're given. And this goes across the nation. These are guidelines and laws that are set into place. And you can utilize these, utilizing an accountant, and you can get out of paying a certain amount of taxes. So we have to do away with that. And we have to lower it down to where the people are actually getting to breathe. Business tax can get you up into 30%. I don't know, Pat, is that around what you're, you're seeing for business? Around 30 something. Oh, I'm sorry, Pat, your, your microphone ain't on, bro. Sorry about that. Yeah, anytime I like I'm 1099, I'm, I'm 1099, I do the 30% and um been doing that for a year and change. And, and you're I, paying social security twice. Yeah, so and I'm I'm fine. I don't want to say I'm fine with it, but I I you know I get how the game works, you know, I do keep my receipts. But if if you just told me 18%, no, I think we've talked about this, no, um, no write-offs and whatnot, you know, like I, 
I'd probably agree with that, you know, but it'd be 18% from the person making $12,000 a year to $12 million a year. It's your fair share. And what you, yeah. And what you do is you increase the revenue for the government, which will give us a fighting chance to get out of this hole we're in because it's going to take a lot of work and it's going to take us being tight with our money. It's just like when you have a budget at home, it's the same. It's the same concept. You know, they have all these fancy economists come in and they say, you know, we have, you know, this way of fixing it and this, and it's going to be a 20 year stop the spending, the excess spending. Don't spend more than's coming in. Cut the waste. And guess what? That's it. You're going to, you're going to eventually chip away at that debt. It's very, it's a very simple concept, but it's very hard for people who don't want to stop spending uh, to understand, or they, at least they act like they don't understand. I also, I, like, like I wouldn't even mind paying the 50. I would, but if we, if we comraded it up, right. And we all came together and we're like, Hey, as a nation, I guess it's the millennial, millennial time to leave and whatnot, not even for healthcare, not for military. If we were all like, Hey man, let's all put in 50% of our income and we will be done with the debt in five years. I would do that because it would give my kids a chance to probably rack up the credit card again. But regardless, that's a solid 30 years of their problem. Not the best mentality, but realistic. But the thing is, is I, I don't see anyone taking my 50% of my money and putting it towards, you know, it's like helping out a crackhead, you know, we need, you know, and there's a lot of things that just irk me when well, you got to pull the credit card. Yeah. Pull, and that's yeah. the first thing. Once again, I don't mind paying taxes in the all for one. Let's get rid of this debt. Like I, I'd support it, but like, you need you need you need men and women like you, man, that are gonna go in there and just be like, hey, are we gonna be adults about this or are we gonna buy the Chad military a new weapon system? Because Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell's cousin in laws just opened up a rifle, you know, a military company or something. I don't you know, something ridiculous like that. But that's not far off. No, but it's no, it's it's fairly accurate though. That's the thing. It's I don't understand how how it's uh even gotten this far, you know. Uh because we're in dire need of of action. But when you have people who have never had real lives, they go straight from school to college to politics. Uh they've never known what it's like to be in a position where they're being taxed to death. You, you see what I'm saying? He, he goes, uh, goes to college. He has a, he has a cushy life living off mom and dad. And then he goes uh, into the government. He's living off us taxpayers. And then they give him this credit card and they say, Hey, spend it. Do what you got to do make things happen. And then, so when they go to put these bills together, this is an issue too. This is a major issue. So I'm glad we're, I, I remembered to say something about this. When you have something you want to vote on, you should vote on that issue. This stacking a six foot tall bill that nobody can read and then dropping it on the floor a day later and saying, yep, it's either you vote on it or, or you don't. And we'll go tell everybody you voted against, you know, they'll put something in there that will be damning to the person who votes against it. You know, it's a trillion dollars, but we don't. It's like the infrastructure bill. Six percent actually went to roads and bridges. Out of all that money, six percent. It's an infrastructure bill. It's for infrastructure, but a majority of the bill doesn't even go to that. Both COVID bills, they 
Republican and Democrat made the same mistake. They, they both did it. So it's not uh, one, Dem you know, the Democrats are bad or the Republicans are bad. They both, they both pulled it off and then they both blamed the other one when they were in charge. So uh, money going to museums and Pakistani liberal arts and just this just, just crazy stuff. And it's like, I think they did a study that said $20,000 is the check that each person in the United States should have got for, for to bail the people out. $20,000, you got $1,400. Think about that. Where'd all that money go? They're lining people's pockets, it's being funneled back into theirs, and they're taking us for a ride. They're, they're cashing in on us. Well, even what up it, man? It's like, like I did, I did pretty well in 2019. So my stimulus situation is a little bit different, but there are people in healthcare. Do you think should have like the healthcare workers, the nurses, do you think they should have got stimulus, stimulus checks? They should have got some sort of financial comp, but you know, they're, they're a little bit different than working in the ICU in New York city during the March, April, May compared to the ICU nurses in a certain place in Kansas, you know, it's, you think those people who, whose hours, if not increased to should have got stimulus checks, who didn't get furloughed, there's a lot of people out there who didn't stop working. Like I, I did pretty well last year, you know, like because of the contracts that I was afforded due to COVID and unfortunately the civil unrest financially benefited me. Like, do you think I deserve a stimulus check? Well, you have integrity. So you're, you're saying, well, I did well, so I don't really need it. Uh, I shouldn't have got it. But not everybody has that integrity. Some people say, well, they got it. You know, I, I did well, but hey, you know, if you're passing out checks, it's only fair. I pay taxes. Why, did, why am I not getting something? Honestly, I think there were bad ideas all the way around. I mean, we're in a bad spot when it comes to national debt. This is serious. You talked about it. He talked about the debt calculator and he watch it and the thing will give you anxiety watching it flick. It never stops. It goes, goes, goes. And it's, it's, you know, and you're watching it like, man, is this ever going to slow? Is there a certain time of day that this number stops moving? No, that's the answer. If anybody's watching it and hasn't seen this thing, this number is constantly flicking up. We're constantly going further in debt and it, it's just, it's a crazy, it's a crisis is what it is. And our leaders have used poor judgment and they've landed us in this position to where we are going to enslave our grandkids to debt. They're probably their children by the time we're done. We're not, you know, we're just getting started with these guys. So, uh, you know, it's like, well, what did you do with your stim uh, stimulus check? And I said, well, I went and bought an AK. So I guess I'm going to have to write my grandkid a thank you card because uh, he bought me an AK 47. So, you, you know, it's like that. That's really what it comes down to. You know, you, you they they took money out of my grandkids' uh, fund. You know, I'll pass them a weapon. I'll pass them a, a, a family heirloom of an AK. They last forever. That way they get their money's worth. As moving on to a different topic, I, I think everyone agrees that healthcare in this country is awful. Uh, one thing we disagree on with, you know, most things is what should we do to fix it? So uh, what is one step you think that we could take to move towards fixing our healthcare system? 
the number one thing I think in benefiting most things is pulling the government out of it and also showing your prices. Um, a guy that I was speaking to, I spoke to on the, on the interview prior, he made this, this, he, he said it like this. He said, if I go to the donut shop, there's, they don't say, all right, here's your donut. I'll bill you later. You know, you say, how much is that donut? And I'll give you, you know, your 79 cents. He made such a valid point. It's, you know, when he said it, it struck me. And, and it, it's amazing that, it was, you know, when you go out and you talk to people like we're doing now, how somebody can say something and it just, it's like it flicks a light switch, right? It opens your mind and you're like, I don't know why I never looked at it that way. And it's because we're so conditioned to the way that hospitals work. We go in, we get our care and they send us a bill. And that's just been our normal since day one. But he's exactly right. It shouldn't be that way. We should know, we should be able to go on the website and hospitals should have to compete for our care. So competition drives down prices. It just does. That's how business works. So if you have four hospitals in, uh, in your town or your city, uh, four major hospitals, you go on their website, you start dropping down the tabs and you say, okay, well, this is how much it will cost. Uh, you know, if I go in and get a scan or if, if I, I receive this care, even this is how much an IV is going to cost me. When they do my blood draw, this is how much it's going to cost. Well, then you compare and then now you know what fits your budget. And I think that's a good move too. I think he was, he was spot on with that. And uh, tra just transparency, transparency in general, whether it's with healthcare or taxes is always a good thing. The people need to know what they're, what they're giving their money for in, in all cases. You know, we, like I said, we work hard for this money. We need to know where it's going and what it's for. And we should never have, uh, we should never have an opera uh, or a, be in a position to where we take something without knowing what we're going to have to give for it. Do you think there's any validity in having um, like government run healthcare programs or programs or like social safety nets? Um, do you think it should all be privatized? I think there are some social uh, safety nets that are that are good. I think they are that they work well. I think that we have to monitor and watch for abuse. Obviously, the elderly. I mean, we've seen it in EMS. Uh, there are some people that just can't take care of themselves to get to a point. They don't have family to take care of them. And it's, it's for the greater good for us to do that. And if we're spending our money wisely on the Hill, well, then that's not that big of an inconvenience, is it? You know, we're all chipping in for the greater good. It's when, when that becomes an inconvenience on spending money on a safety net is when they're wasting money on everything else, but what they're supposed to safety net's a good thing, especially for when you have someone who's disabled the elderly, we should not, I say, I say this all the time, we should not have homelessness in America. Like, this is insane to me. We have people, it's a mental health uh, crisis, you know, there's mental health issues. We need to be able to get, get these people help, you know, find out what's going on and get them back on their feet. And if we can't, we need to figure out a way to take care of them. But homelessness is a serious issue. And we live in the greatest country in the world. And sometimes you can drive down the road and someone would be, you know, sleeping, it'd be snowing. You know, it'd be snowing, you stop, and you, because I, I had this happen one time. I was driving down to uh, Sykeston, and I looked off in the distance as I was driving up on, on uh, down the highway heading south, and I seen this guy hunkered over in the snow, and I pulled over, uh, and I, I ran up there to talk to him, and I, I thought, man, what am I going to do? You know, I, where do I take him? You know, if I get him, if I do convince him to get in the car, uh, what am 
you know, no one knows what to do with them, you know, and that's something we have to solve. That's something we need to really put our focus and attention into because he didn't want to ride with me. He didn't want to get in the car and warm up. And uh, he was just content with sitting there being in the cold. I, I just slipped money under his jacket and tried to give him something, you know, and that's like, you know, in that situation, it's like you're trying to do your best to, to help. But we have to come up with a better solution for that. In the 8th District, even in our in our country, uh, in our country family-oriented district, we're starting to see homeless homelessness become an issue that we don't know how to solve that. And that's a national issue. And I think that's something that I would like to try to take on if I get if I get elected into Congress. Oh, I wanted to talk about uh, foreign policy a little bit. Uh, I guess we could start off with Afghanistan. What is your opinion on either continuing or ending the war? And if it's ending the war, well, I guess for either, uh, how do you suppose we go about doing that? This is a this is a very challenging situation. And the problem is, is no one has ever went to Afghanistan and came out the victors. These people have been fighting forever. Many civilizations, many, many countries have tried to go in there and, and, and have the success of, of making their agenda work there. And it's just, I don't know, I don't know what it is that causes that. These people, it's it maybe their culture, the way they, the way they run, they're just, they don't, they don't want people over there helping. They, they just, there, there might be a very small portion, but there ain't many. Um, and I think that that's the drawback. I think that you have to have a majority of the people on board with getting rid of the problem, right? The terrorists, you have to have, uh, and if the majority isn't there to help you out, well, then it's hard, to, it's hard for us to go change a country and especially nation building. I say that we've rarely accomplished the becoming the nation builders. We've the only nation that we've truly built is our own. We've had instances that we've helped uh, with uh, with Germany, and that was that's something that's been brought up with the drop in the wall. Um, however, that's more sanctions and economics. So as far as going in and, and, and occupying and building a nation, we haven't had too much success with this. So I think we need to pull back and let them handle their own business. We need to be more secure on our borders to make sure that we're protecting our people. We need to monitor who we let into this country, who are outsiders. We need to know who we're getting. But I don't think that I, when I look at you guys, you guys are so willing, you know, you guys are so willing to serve your country and you guys are your patriots, your warriors. You guys all, you know, went off and, and, and fought and, and you served your country. Uh, it's a, such a respectful thing. It's an, it's, it's an honorable thing. You did great. You know, you went, you did what you were supposed to do. And that's the thing is you, you did, you served your country. It's a beautiful thing, but why should people, our brothers go over to an endless war situation lose their life, lose their limbs for what? What's the end game here? I mean, I, I don't see it. I don't see an end game in Afghanistan. What are we gonna turn, are we gonna turn Afghanistan into Germany? Are we gonna turn Afghanistan into Japan and it's just gonna, we're gonna turn it around? I don't, I don't see it. We could spend trillions of dollars over there. It's, ne it's never gonna be a Germany. Not in my lifetime. But I think pulling out is the best, is the best option. I think bringing our, bringing our troops back home and letting them handle their own affairs. I'm pretty invested in Afghanistan. I spent, I think, almost three years of my life there. 
And once again, I'm going to talk out both sides of my mouth is I've seen the bad, not, not the bad actions, but as far as service, our service members dying, like friends I have, you know, guys coming back and still mentally not being there or being over there. But I've also worked with these locals for so long that, and that was my big thing is I was, you know, I was, I want to say embedded is an overused term, but I was, you know, working with them, working with their families, providing medical aid with them, you know, and like, I just know the second we leave, there's 400 plus guys plus families and children that are just, you know, on chopping block. And I don't, once again, man, I don't want to come off as a humanitarian or anything like that, but it's weird. There's but, nothing wrong with being a humanitarian or coming off that way. You, you yeah. have every, you have every right to feel an emotional connection to these people that you've, you've lived with, you broke bread with, you know? I'd like to see, and I think I'd like to see rich Afghans, uh, man, like, I'd like to see the world come together to help these places. Kind of like how, who was it? Was it Barry Goldwater or Ross Perot? Just got a team and just A-teamed. Have you ever heard that story? But I haven't. Yeah, Ross It was either Barry Goldwater or Ross Perot. They had, he hired a bunch of people to go down and like get several of his employees, you know. It was it was some A-team stuff. But once again, you're, you're putting people who want to be there, who want to help these people and putting their own lives and obviously they're going to be financially compensated but you know is 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 that even an option at this point like if like outside of the u.s intervention like because like a lot of my guys get got murdered for being associated with us and that's with you know my big american friends right and you know they get threatened all the time and whatnot so it's just you know, I like to me, and I, but I, I know the right move is to pull the troops out, but there's also 400 plus people that I've been directly involved with that are probably gonna get murdered. And it's not even by the Taliban, it's probably by just their neighbors because they had a job and the, the their neighbor didn't. So, I do want to, not to dampen the mood, I do like to throw that out there is we have had so many assets so, and some of them don't want to come to America, not because they hate us, but because that's char car is their home, you know, it's where they grew up and everything like that. It's where they, you know, it's where they want to have their kids stay. So, you know, the knee jerk is, okay, bring them all over. It's like, well, some of them don't want to come over, you know, they just want to stay where they are from. So. I just, I throw that out when we talk about the troop withdrawals. I'm like, you know, once again, talking both sides out my mouth, but you know, I don't, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard decision. It's a hard question. So maybe that needs to be, sorry. No, no. Well, the thing is, is maybe if we get the spending under control where it's not sinking our boat, you know, we can operate in a, in a more humanitarian fashion instead of uh, going over there to, occupy or do the things that we're doing um it's just the cost it's the oh. cost of, of of the lives it's the cost of the it's not we're not even just financially i mean the good we're doing we're doing good 
and I'm very proud of the troops over there doing what they're doing. And I don't ever want my, my thoughts on pulling us back and being, you know, bringing everybody home. I, it isn't for a lack of sympathy for these people in their positions, because I can't imagine being in a country where I'm surrounded by all this evil and all I want is to be able to change that so that my kids can grow up and live in a, in a, in a safe environment where they don't have to worry about being killed because they act, act a certain way or they care for, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's powerful. It's hard. It's for, it's for sure. It's, it's definitely not easy when these people, you got to truly take into all of this into consideration, but as a U.S. Congressman, I need to look out for Americans, American troops first. And I need to make sure that I, I do everything I can to keep them safe by letting the policy or helping the politicians make better decisions on how to utilize them. No, and uh, I appreciate that, man. Like, I don't, I don't think it's at this point in the game, I don't think it's the U S government's problem. You know, I'd, I'd like to see, once again, more Afghan citizens and people of Afghan descent come in, throw money into this and say, hey, man, like, I have these Americans who are willing to stay here and they're going to help you and we're going to, they're going to build, you know, they're going to do stuff and we're going to, you know, I'd like to see that happen because, you know, we've thrown a lot of money at this problem and there have been a lot of Afghans and, you know, pe Afghans who have financially done very well. There's also been 20 plus years of Americans going to war, like and who like being over there. So, you know, I feel like the two things could stray away from the American taxpayer and be like, all right, man, we've given you a lot, we've given you your allowance for years. It's time to figure this out, buy, you know, figure this out. So, but obviously it's way more complicated than that. So and I think that's the, that's the issue with a lot of things. It's so complicated, but when you have people that they just so uh, they they just they'll just throw out an idea, and it's just that's you know uh, you have to really understand. It's like when we we're talking about the guns, you have to really understand what costs are to your actions. You have to you have to actually dig in and find out. So that way, when you make your decisions, you make it with knowing what the what comes at a cost for what you're what the decision that you're choosing to make you need to know those things as a leader and uh not every decision is going to be an easy one and it's never it's never you know not all of them are going to feel good uh sometimes the right decision it hurts to make it right we've all been those those positions where you have to make a hard call and you don't want to and it don't feel good but it's the right thing for the greater good and uh I think we just need to stop and, and really evaluate the decisions that we're making and be cautious about our movements, but do it, do it for the greater good and not to line pockets. I think that's, uh, that's the last question for you that I got. I don't know about either of you guys. I'm very grateful for you guys having me tonight. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. It was good getting to speak with some fellow veterans and 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 getting to put my ideas out there. And you guys had great questions, by the way. Yeah, no, I think we all really appreciate you coming on for sure. Yeah, I very much appreciate you being super accessible and answering everything. Um, it was awesome.
I've never, yeah, never, I, never met anybody that wanted to answer questions like like you did. So, oh always... well, thanks, Kyle. Yeah, the one thing that uh, that I don't want to do is you see this all the time when uh, a moderator asks a politician, they're up on the stage and they completely answer the question in a way that that wasn't the question. You just want to yell at your TV, like, what are you doing? Answer the question. Because if yeah. people would just answer the question, people, the voters can make an honest, educated, and informed decision on what they're, they're choosing for. Um, that's just, that's just, I, that's my goal is to always be open, honest, and say it, even if it's hard to say. Um, and I'll, I'll do my, my best constantly stay accessible so people can, you know, I want people to know what's going on. They have every right. It's their country too. And we are a government supposed to be made up by the people for the people. It's not the elites and, and then us. It's not it. Hashtag term limits. Term limits. Cut their pay. Should go off of their districts. If you're from a district that doesn't uh, have that big of, a, of an income, well, then you shouldn't, you shouldn't be uh, making, you should make a fair wage compared to the, that will drive people to bring business and success to their, to their districts. If maybe if their pay is affected a little bit, you quit selling the people out and letting their jobs leave off to Mexico or to other countries. I don't want to just dog on Mexico, but there's a lot of good manufacturing jobs. There's a lot of jobs uh, that get ran out of our country because of high taxes. And they, and these, these businessmen are smart. They look around, they see that the government's wasting their money, wasting their time, and they'll, they'll go to where they can make the, uh, make the best living for them and their family. And I think that if a congressman off each district only made what his district was uh, around, what his district was the average, I think that would be awful fair. Um, definitely a good start, regardless. You know, it's, I'm not opposed to, uh, what, there's 200, 300 of these people, probably more, 500, I think. These people average it out. They're all making 140, 170. That's several million dollars that we could save. And that's just rough math. That's right. You know, right. I, I'm not opposed. Challenge to see someone who is, you know. Well, they, they'll all, uh, a lot of them will fight to keep on, to, uh, you know, to hold on to whatever they can, whether it's power or finances. And I think that just exposes them. We make the hard decision about term limits and watch who votes against it. And when they vote against it, take note. If you're a voter, take note of that. Take note when uh, a bill gets introduced to, to cut the, 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 the average pay of a congressman, someone puts in to cut the pay and, and to put impose term limits. Watch how they watch how they vote. Watch how they vote. That's it. It's easy to find. You can look it up online. You can see who's about it and who isn't. You can see who's legitimately here to serve, who's legitimately here to do the right thing. Google their net worth. See what they were. These people, uh, these people can't hide. The technology is too good these days. You vote no on something, the people know about it. You vote yes, they know. They see your record, your voting record. And that's something they should be held accountable for their voting record. Uh, Kyle, Pat, you guys have uh, anything else for Jacob? 
Yeah. Um, once again, grateful you came on. Grateful you spent your own time to talk with us. You know, shoot, shoot, shoot you know, back and forth ideas. Um, you know, obviously you're taking time away from your family and your campaign, but I'm 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 grateful and I'm definitely blessed to have you. You know, doing your best to re represent us in the eighth district of the great state of Missouri. You know, thank you. Might, might keep me around here a couple more years. You know. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, I think I've interrogated you enough. Uh, once again, thank you. Um, it was really awesome getting to talk to you. Yeah, you too, Kyle. I wish you, I wish you good luck. Uh, we need more people, you know, transparent people like you are willing to answer um, people's questions uh, in government. Thank so you. I'm rooting for you. Thank you. It's very nice meeting you, getting to know you a little bit. Uh, last thing I have for you is uh, you, you could uh, go ahead and uh, say any closing remarks that you got. And then if you want to shout out any social media pages on um, your campaign again, um, or any companies, anything like that. All right. Well, I'll start off with this. Every two years, six years, depending on the office, politicians come out and they give you a spill as a voter and they say that they're going to go off and they're going to achieve this for you. And then they get to the hill and they forget about the promises they made. It's time we hold them accountable. It's time that we make them live up to their actions. If a politician says they're going to do something and they don't do it, let's get them out of there. Let's not be afraid to take some risk on getting on moving the pieces. We want real change. If we want people and when I say change, I'm not meaning the country fundamentally. I'm, what I'm meaning by change is politicians who actually work for the people. They do what they're going to say, and they look out for the best interests of this country. And that has been something that has been forgotten. And now it's time for not only for, uh, you know, I want other people to step up. If you're out in the state and you're seeing this and you thought, hey, you know what, maybe I can make a change, you know, I. I can, you know, I know, I know that I'm an honest person. I know that I could do the things that he's talking about. Look into running, look into, get out there and be that man or, or woman of action. Get out there and try to make a difference, uh, because we live in the greatest nation in the world. We live, we live in a place where things a regular person can can sign up and can actually run a campaign, and can win a seat in Congress, a seat in the Senate. Big things can happen here. This is this is a great place. We can make change, but it's going to take people stepping up, and it's going to be you got to put yourself out there, and it's not easy. It's not easy. There's a lot of there's a lot of things that you're going to have to to uh, to get used to, especially being out in public. People people questioning you, and you know, and and uh, constantly, you know, you're going to have to get used to managing your time. There's a lot of things that come with the campaign, but please. If you're thinking about it, let's let's make some change out here. You know, it, it would be nice to have some friends up in Congress who who I know I can trust. When a bill comes down the line, I, I say, you know, I look over at them and I know, I know that person. They got, you know, they've got the Americans' backs. They got America's back. They got their states back. They're gonna take care of the people. If you're from Eighth District, I would like you to understand we have a great opportunity here. We have an opportunity to do something big and different. We have a, a, an opportunity to break the two-party system apart that has failed you for years and abused you, whether it's with high taxes or, or with pushing infringements on the Constitution. We have a chance here where you don't have to worry about splitting the vote. You can, you can, 
you can vote on the person who you believe in, not the lesser of two evils. You can vote on the person you actually believe in. Look into me. If you got, if there's something that you want to know, message me. Send me your phone number. I'll give you a shout. That's all I got for this evening. Thank you all so much for having me. It's been, it's been an amazing evening and I've truly enjoyed this conversation. God bless. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for coming. We really appreciate it. Uh, wish you the best of luck for sure. Thank you, sir. All right, gents. Till next time.